the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Joshua and his generation die and are buried, and their descendants begin to follow other gods. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 2, verse 6. The title of the message is, Making the Grade. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. The book of Judges is divided into three sections. We have this introduction section that goes to the halfway point of chapter 3. And then we'll get to the history part where we'll start with the first judge and we'll move through these cycles of Israel's sin, disobedience, judgment, discipline at God's hand, and then repentance, and then God's deliverance. And then we'll start it all over again. <laughs> and we'll see this downward spiral that will culminate with Samson, the last judge that's mentioned in Judges. And then we'll get to the final section, which is kind of an appendix, which just gives two examples of just how bad things got in Israel when they turned away from the Lord. So chapter 2, verse 6. So far, Judges has explained what happened immediately after Joshua died. Some of the tribes obeyed God, some of them compromised, and some, few of them even outright disobeyed God's commands. And while that generation, even though they may have compromised or even disobeyed, even though while that generation had those Canaanites under control, things are going to deteriorate quickly. But we're not going to continue the history and dive into that just yet. The author, beginning in verse 6, is going to now dial back again. He's going to summarize Israel's history by painting that larger picture of those cycles of sin, discipline, suffering, repentance, and deliverance. And why does he do that? Because He wants us to understand the overarching reason why Israel failed the test that God left for them so that we will learn how to make the grade when our test comes. So chapter 2, verse 6, it says, When Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Now, that's where Judges chapter 1 starts. It starts where Joshua let the people go, and they went to their inheritance to possess their land. So at this point now, we're going to go back in time again. And so Judges is not particularly linear. It'll be linear from chapter 3, verse 5, all the way through to the end of chapter 17, I believe. And then 18 through 22, we'll go back in time again. So it's not completely linear. So we're going back in time here again to the point where Joshua sent them back home, to go possess the land. 
Now, Judges chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 5, gives us those events. But because those verses only focused on one area of Israel's spiritual condition, we're going to get to see how the rest of their spiritual condition was here in verse 7. It says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, the ones who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. The word therefore served, it, it means to worship, to give your energy or devotion to God. And so the people, other than this compromise that we read, these compromises that we read about in chapter one, other than that, they, they were faithful. They served the Lord. They gave their heart and their devotion to worshiping the Lord. And they did that all the days of Joshua and all the days of the leaders who outlived Joshua. Now it qualifies who those were those who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Joshua and these leaders, they had experienced the Jordan drying up and the walls of Jericho falling and God bringing hailstones, you know, supernatural hail from heaven to defeat their enemies. They had seen all that, but they had also experienced the failures in the desert and the failure at Ai. They'd seen their countrymen die and miss out on all that God promised because of disobedience. So since they had seen both those things, that they knew that we need to follow the Lord. And because of that, these leaders wielded a heavy influence among their peers that also saw all these things, because even if they didn't like what the leaders were telling them to do, they knew that what they said was true. They knew it was true because they'd seen it with their own eyes. And you know, here's the powerful thing about good leadership. Good leaders aren't perfect. They are people who have made good decisions when others around them didn't. It's not that complicated. You know, oftentimes, Bev always teases me because I'll find myself in leadership position, usually wherever I end up. And she's like, well, it's who you are and stuff. And I'm like, but I don't think I'm qualified for half the things I do. And honestly, it's not that hard. It's just about making good decisions where other people don't make good decisions most of the time. Not that I always make good decisions. Those leaders that make those good decisions when other people aren't, they have the ability to preserve the things they lead, even if everyone around them isn't on board. I heard good leadership described this way, that a good leader gets people to do what they don't want to do, making them think it's all their idea the whole time. Isn't that interesting? But it's true. Good leaders inspire others. They challenge others to do maybe what they're not necessarily motivated to do themselves by the authority wielded by their very example of trying to do those things themselves. And that's all these guys were. They weren't perfect, but they were able to preserve their generation because they made good decisions. So while there were compromises, these leaders were able to keep the nation strong. Israel still followed the Lord for the most part, but then those leaders... And that generation began to die, starting with Joshua. And no new leader stepped up to carry the torch. Look at verse 8. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. We studied that in the end of Joshua. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And here it is. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Now, the word for knew not the Lord, the word knew there, that know, 
It's an interesting word. It's, it's where we, the word yada. It's where we get the phrase yada, yada, yada. You ever heard somebody say that? Yada, yada, yada means, you know, you know, you know, you know, that's what you're telling. Basically, when you say yada, yada, yada means you already know all this. I don't need to explain it all to you. So, okay, so you know. So yada here, when it says that this generation that rose up that didn't know the Lord, it can mean that they didn't possess information about the Lord or they weren't aware of the Lord, but it's a very broad word in Hebrew. It can also be more intimate by meaning to be familiar with the Lord or to gain information through experience with the Lord. Because the previous generation did faithfully serve the Lord for the most part, it's very difficult for me to believe that this generation didn't even know who Jehovah God was. That's difficult for me to swallow. It's possible, but it's, it's hard for me to think that's the case. It's more likely, I think, that this speaks of how they didn't have a relationship with the Lord and they had never experienced his work in their lives. Now, that is the danger of a little compromise. That's the danger. Oftentimes, I'll have people that I'll be talking to, and I'll see a compromise in their life, or we'll be doing counseling, and I'll challenge them in an area of a compromise in their life. And I'm like, well, why are you giving me such a hard time? It's like, I'm, I'm going to leave the faith over this. And, and you know what I tell them? I go, I know you won't. I get that. But this is about more than just you. It's about more than just you. You know, most of us, when we make a small compromise, we're not going to all of a sudden leave the faith that we've experienced for the last 20 years of our lives and how we've seen God work in our lives. We've understood his word is real. My relationship with God that I already have, it might keep me from a full-on spiritual blowout with a small compromise, but, but it will teach a very bad lesson to my kids and to the upcoming generation. It will teach them that it's okay to kind of sort of love God, that loving God supremely isn't necessary, that doing everything God says isn't that important. And because they don't have the experiences with the Lord that I do, and they don't have the relationship with the Lord I do, they will reject the faith when they begin to compromise like I am. Do you see the problem there? And so I challenge them. I say, I, I get what you're saying, but you're thinking very selfishly right now. Someone else did this in the Bible. You remember Hezekiah, King Hezekiah? And he's at the end of his life, and, and, you know, and, and he's all excited because this embassy from the, this little teeny tiny country of Babylon has come to congratulate him on, on him and on his recovery from his deathly illness and to, to bring him gifts to, just to say, we're so happy to hear you're still alive. At that time, Babylon was nobody. It was a nothing kingdom. And so King Hezekiah is all going, wow, man, I got people from Babylon coming to tell me how awesome this is and whatever. And I'm just going to show them how good the kingdom is. And he shows them all the treasures of the palace and the Lord's house. And Isaiah, when he sees them, he comes to Hezekiah and he goes, what are you doing, man? Because I'm showing them everything God did. I'm showing, all, I mean, I'm showing everything that, that, that the Lord's done for us, how he's prospered us and everything, and how awesome it is to be an Israelite right now. And he goes, what did you show them? He says, all the treasures. And he goes, thus saith the Lord. Those very Babylonians who have seen those treasures, they're going to get greedy from what they've seen, and they will come and they will destroy Jerusalem and take them back to their homeland. And Hezekiah goes, when's that going to happen? And he goes, well, it won't be in your day. He goes, whew. All right, well, praise the Lord, it will happen in my day. Let's keep going. Do you understand that problem? It was a failure because all he was thinking about was himself. 
And yeah, Hezekiah was a good king. The Bible says he was a king who pleased the Lord. But this was a shortcoming late in his life. He compromised at the end of his life, and it ended up creating a major problem for his descendants in the future. See, interacting with the unrepentant pagans around them instead of entering into their full inheritance didn't cause the first generation to embrace their idols. But the next generation, when they rose up, they started to ask the question, well, why shouldn't we? What's the big deal? Look at verse 11. And the children of Israel, this new generation, because they didn't have a relationship with God, they didn't love the Lord, they, didn't, they hadn't experienced all the things the other generation had. They hadn't seen the walls of Jericho come down. They hadn't seen the river Jordan dry up. And they hadn't experienced God's discipline for disobedience. This is these children of Israel, this generation. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served Balim. They didn't just compromise. This wasn't just an attitude of, well, I know this isn't what God said, but we've got it under control. They did open and outright evil evil by serving Balim. Now, the word they're served, it's the same word when it talked about worshiping the Lord. It means to give one's energy or devotion to a God. They began to give their energy and devotion to, it says here, the Balim. Now, anytime you have the word im at the end of these Middle Eastern languages, it makes it plural. The word Baal, it means Lord. So it says they gave their energy and their devotion to these lords that were out there. When you talk about the Canaanite pantheon, the Mesopotamian pantheon, it's not very uniform. Each city had its own lord. So like we'll, we'll come into passages in scripture where it says, and they worship Baal Peor. And that just means they worship the God of Peor, whoever that was. So they had different gods that each city had. And these gods oftentimes had common names. But the point here isn't that they embraced a specific god or goddess. It's that this generation embraced whatever god they liked best instead of worshiping the Lord. Verse 12, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them. And they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. You see, when we compromise, we devalue the word of God. And this lesson of that action, when you compromise and you teach a lesson that the word of God isn't that important, that lesson of action is taught far more powerfully than any children's class at church or family devotion at home. Way more powerfully. It's funny. Have you ever come upon your kids and they're playing with their toys or whatever, and they say things and you hear your own voice coming out of their mouth? It's always one of those horrifying moments when like the kids are playing with toys, or whatever, and somebody's bad and you see them disciplining somebody and you're like, is that what I sound like? I need to repent. They learn from what they see us do better than any lesson that we might teach them with our words. Someone has said once that ministry is caught, it's not taught. And I find often that Christianity is very much the same, especially when we're trying to influence the next generation. They'll see our actions and know what we value based on that more than anything that we can say that we value. As our kids grow up, they see a world around them that seems fine without God and without God's ways. And so if mom and dad and others at church don't believe all of it's important, 
then why should they believe any of it's important? And when an entire generation grows up seeing compromise instead of seeing the value of trusting the Lord, God's commands don't become ways and paths of blessing. They become restrictions on life. And guess what happens? When you start weighing out the value systems of the Lord God with the value systems of these other gods, these other gods start looking a little bit more attractive. Oh, you mean I can... I can do this or I can do that. I don't, have to, I don't have to restrict myself here. Well, that sounds way better than this and this and this. And so they did that and followed these other gods and they provoked the Lord to anger. When we saw the previous compromises in Judges chapter one, we saw at the beginning of chapter two that God sent the angel of the Lord to come and rebuke them, right? So the compromises brought the Lord's rebuke then because he wanted to show them mercy. He didn't want to discipline them. But this defiance against clear commands from Scripture, it couldn't be ignored. God had to do something. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, Pastor, well, I don't understand the big deal. What's the the big deal? They followed other gods. Is it really that bad? Well, the author of Judges gives us two examples of why it was so bad. Look at verse 13. And they forsook the Lord, and they served Baal and Ashtaroth. Now, These are just two of the gods that existed in the Canaanite pantheon, the various Canaanite pantheons that were there. But these were two very prevalent ones. We have good information on them. Now, Baal, he was kind of the Canaanite equivalent of Zeus. He was believed to inhabit thunderstorms, and he was the one that was responsible for providing fertility. He was worshipped to ensure that you had good crops, that your your livestock produced healthy calves and whatever, healthy sheep. And he was also there to grant you a good sex life because everybody needs a god that gives you a good sex life. I'm always irritated and frustrated when I see Christianity books and pastors, you know, try to portray our God that way. And I'm not trying to downplay the importance of the intimate relationship within the confines of marriage. God did design it to be a wonderful blessing. The whole book of Song of Solomon talks about that. But I'm always a little irritated when I see the American view of sex. Um, Like, for example... And, and if I offend you with this, please, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But I often, we send our kids to these purity conferences and, and you hear these, these, these teachers, they get up there and they say, do you want to have rockin' hot sex when you get married? And you know, I'm kind of like listening and I'm going, is this really what we need to say to our 13-year-olds, you know? I don't necessarily think that's what God's talking about when he talks about the blessings that come with purity, right? So these were things that, the pagan gods were about. In the Ugaritic epic, epic um, the story of their gods, Baal is pictured as descending into the netherworld during the winter to deal with the underworld god Mot, because, you know, he just creates trouble every winter. And in order to bring Baal up in the spring, because he's busy down there dealing with Mot, you, you would have to, so he could bless the crops and your livestock anew, the Canaanites would engage in these orgiastic worship uh, services that included human sacrifice as well as sexual rites with sacred prostitutes. So when we sit here and go, what's so bad about these gods? Do I need to give you more details? The other god, goddess they worshipped uh, commonly was Ashtaroth. These were two main deities that Israel constantly fell into idolatry with. And Ashtaroth, she was the Canaanite mother goddess of fertility, love, and war. 
Um, her real name was Ashtar, but what's interesting is the Israelites replaced the vowels of her name with the Hebrew vowels that said the word shame. Because what she stood for was incredibly shameful. She was one of Baal's three wives, known as the queen of heaven and the perpetual virgin, even though her primary function was to have sex with Baal in order to bring about the rains that guaranteed your good harvest. So to stir up the two to copulate, to bring this wonderful spring upon you and the rains and everything, worshipers would enter what they called Asherah groves. There would be these um, circular, um, sacred, uh, almost like outdoor temples um, that were you know, surrounded by these wooden phallic symbols, and then they would engage in their sexual rites in there to stir up the gods to get it going, you know? And so that way they could have a good harvest and have good livestock. Now, hopefully I don't need to, again, explain any more about why this is not a good thing. But let's just hone in on a simple truth here. The Lord forbade these types of rituals and worship practices because no, none of us need to earn his blessings. We don't need to coax God to bless us, you know? He blesses us, why? Because he loves us. Because he's a good God. He doesn't need to be coaxed out of hiding to bring spring. He's ever-present in our lives. He doesn't disappear. He doesn't go away. He's not busy handing other matters. But you know, when you start when you preach a sermon to a group of people and you say, God's just good. He just loves you. It seems kind of simple and small. I'd much rather do something to guarantee something really cool in my life. And so as the Israelites were hearing the scriptures read, it really didn't stir them up at all. It seems small compared to an invitation to a big sex party. Oh, yeah, I know it costs the lives of some babies, you know, our sacrifices, but I'm not really worried about that as long as I'm getting what I want. To be frank, if that sounds familiar, well, that's because things don't change. We might not call abortion clinics or divorce courts regions of tribute to Baal and Ashtoreth, but they're pretty much the same thing. When we sacrifice kids who need love, who have a bright future in front of them because of our selfishness. You know, we look throughout history and we see when the church forsakes the word of God, and future generations reject the Lord, it's because they just were happier doing their own thing in their own minds. But there's been a heavy price to pay, hasn't there? I mean, look at our own generation. You know, I, I'm beyond blessed. You know, that's, again, that's why that song means so much to me, because I'm like, oh, God has been so good to me. I, I think about this. I had the privilege of, of sitting under one of the best Bible teachers ever in Pastor Chuck. I could have been, God could have called me anywhere, right? It could have, I could have been born anywhere where I didn't have that, that blessing and that option. I had the blessing of being surrounded by 
godly teachers like Pastor Gibb around me who could mentor me and encourage me and challenge me and rebuke me when necessary. I have the privilege of being in a church where y'all bring your Bibles and you want to learn. Like there's numerous occasions where you could have just been like, Pastor Will, I'm done, man. You just talk too much. But I never get that impression. Y'all seem very eager to learn. You're here tonight. We're in the book of Judges for crying out loud. (laughs) It's not exactly something you go, you know what I've always wanted to do? (laughs) But here you are. I've been incredibly blessed. You have to understand that many people have gone to churches or, or had their, uh, you know, religious experiences where they don't, they don't open their Bible. Pastor doesn't preach from the Word of God. You don't have the benefits that come with that. And so oftentimes, you know, we look at our culture and we go, why is the church, why is the church like this? Why is the church so divided? Or why is it so confusing at times about what the Bible actually says? It's not because the Bible's confusing. It's because we've forsaken the Word of God. And so everybody goes after their own lusts. They've created a God to suit themselves, just like the Israel did. And there's been a heavy price. God hates what happens to us when we do that, and it angers him, so much so that he had to take action with Israel. Lord, we thank you. We want to be those who pay attention to what you say, believe it, and then respond accordingly recognizing that you're not expecting perfection, Lord. You know we'll fail sometimes. Thank you for that promise, Lord. We rest in it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.